Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. I am Chris Trapasso. Entering into week three of the NFL preseason, the final week of the preseason, used to be the dress rehearsal. Now it's the final week. How are teams going to handle this? Are they going to let the starters play? A lot of teams have opted for not playing most of their starters, especially at the quarterback position, which I personally think is the smart way to do it. Uh, Thank you for everyone that is watching live on Tuesday night on TikTok. And for those listening Wednesday morning or later, TikTok is not going to overtake Twitter when it comes to my go-to social media platforms, but I'm going to be using it a lot for film reviews, for other videos, young NFL player analysis, certainly draft analysis with a lot of film uh, during the college football season. And then once we turn the page to the 2022 calendar year during draft season, combine, senior bowl, everything leading up to the 2022 NFL draft. So I appreciate everyone listening and now watching live on TikTok. If you don't uh, if you're not following me on TikTok, like I try to make it as simple as possible at Chris Trapasso. I love the app. I love the way how nice it is to let you record your own videos. It's just very, very easy. I think it's the best way to shoot a video on your phone on any of the social media platforms. Enough of that. This is a podcast made mostly for audio. I just wanted to try this out uh, on TikTok as well. It's kind of simulcasting here like a lot of podcasts are today. I'm going to start because we are at the end of the preseason, and we've, to me, just wrote about this yesterday at CBSSports.com, in the midst of one of the more captivating NFL preseasons that we've had in a very long time. I I don't, maybe it's because we didn't get a preseason last year, but with the five first-round rookie quarterbacks, with, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence being included in that, with the three receivers that went inside the top 10, two uh, cornerbacks inside the top 11 selections, uh, or top 10 selections, nine and 10 overall. It's just been a more captivating and fascinating preseason. It feels like I need to be going to find Jaguar saints on Monday night football in the preseason when in the past, eh, wouldn't really have cared that much, but I will say as a draft analyst, I, I like watching preseason like in the into the third and the fourth quarters because there's a lot of those fifth and sixth and seventh rounders, even some undrafted guys that I liked a little bit more during the pre-draft process that I get to see on an NFL football field and see just how they fit in to the pro level. Uh, but I want to talk about an article that came out yesterday that I wrote at CBSSports.com, grading the impressive and the disappointing first-round rookies. Kind of zeroed in on the quarterbacks, uh, but I did mention a few other non-quarterback positions that inside that first round just a few months ago in late April, guys that have impressed me and a few that have disappointed. I think the best rookie quarterback thus far has been Zach Wilson. I think he's just just a little bit ahead of Mac Jones at this point. I know Mac Jones has better statistics and the Patriots offense has operated a little bit more efficiently, but I like the big time throws that I've seen from Zach Wilson and what I've seen, I think I'm losing uh, my connection here to TikTok. But anyway, uh, I've liked what I've seen from Zach Wilson in terms of his playmaking ability. There was that 27 yard throw outside of structure where he rolled to his right to Corey Davis against the Packers, found him down the field, the touchdown, the first one to Tyler Croft, 
great touch over the linebackers, but in front of the safety, didn't zing it in there, didn't lob it so it could get intercepted or knocked away. Uh, what we've seen from Zach, what I've seen from Zach Wilson looks like the quarterback that was in full command of that BYU offense last year and allowed him to go from maybe a day three quarterback to the number two overall selection. So he's really impressed me. He's, uh, he was 15 of 20, 195 yards and two touchdowns thus far in the preseason. Very impressive, uh, especially on a team that I think in the Jets is still rebuilding. I like the receivers that they have. Corey Davis, uh, Elijah Moore, who we haven't really seen yet in the preseason, uh, Keelan Cole, offensive line, which should be better than it was during the Sam Darnold era, but not amazing. And yes, I think the Jets, because they are rebuilding, they have been a little bit more apt to play some of their youngsters because they are so young. They've been getting some first-team reps against second and third-string uh, opponents. But Zach Wilson, the decisiveness, the playmaking, improvisational flair style that we saw at, at BYU, been very impressed with him. I mean, he was my number two overall player and my number two quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence. So he's impressed me. I'm not going to say that I've been surprised by how he's played, but I think Sam Darnold was pretty inherently talented when he was the number three overall pick just in the 2018 draft. And we saw what happened uh, being in that New York Jets organization that it just didn't work out for him because the situation wasn't very good. Again, I think the situation is better now for Zach Wilson, but he's looked extremely comfortable in these first couple of preseason games. I'll jump now to the other side of the ball. Gregory Russo, same division, AFC East. This one I'm impressed with and I'm surprised because if you followed me during the pre-draft process, I threw up a bunch of warning signs. I wrote an article that it would be a big mistake to pick Gregory Russo in the first round because even in the 15 and a half sack true fresh or red shirt freshman season in 2019, a lot of them were covered sacks happening three or four seconds into a play uh, or on stunts and twists where he was almost schemed to the quarterback. I didn't see a lot of pass rushing moves, didn't see a lot of leverage at almost six foot seven, and not a lot of power at not only being six foot seven, but being playing somewhere in the 250s, maybe 260. That's pretty light for being that tall. Two awesome bull rushes, one in the Bills preseason opener against the Lions, and then last week, just on Saturday against the Chicago Bears inside Soldier Field. The bull rush is there. He's using his length well. Six pressures on 19 pass rushing snaps. That is insane productivity, of course. Pretty small sample size. But I did not expect Gregory Russo to hit the ground running like he did uh, in these first two exhibition games. To see him do it against a veteran left or right tackle where there's a game plan, where there's some scouting during the week on how to kind of neutralize him. Once I see that, I'll be thoroughly impressed. And, of course, that is what really counts, not just the preseason. But if you're the Bills with the number 30 overall selection, Gregory Rousseau, who didn't play last season, was a technically a one-year wonder, not that it was his fault, um, and I don't blame him for opting out, but to get what they have gotten from him this early, I think uh, they have to be very happy with that. Now, the other quarterback in the AFC East is his it's not an AFC East dedicated podcast episode, but Mac Jones has been, I think, the height of what the Patriots should be expecting of Mac Jones. There's been a few good throws down the field, nothing insane improvisationally or with 
his mobility, but he's gotten the football out quickly. He's made the right reads. He's been very well protected. Uh, and certainly last week in that blowout against the Eagles, uh, he was up against probably one of the worst secondaries in the NFL. It's not especially deep. Um, didn't face a lot of those starters early on in that game. But he operated Josh McDaniel's offense probably exactly like he wants it to. Cam Newton, who played earlier in the game against Philadelphia, looked very good as well. And you could see just more natural talent that Newton has with his velocity. And I thought his accuracy was actually pretty good too. But for Mac Jones, uh, again, he's not throwing to a bunch of uh, amazing wide receivers there in New England. And there's Bill Belichick has played a lot of second and third stringers when Mac Jones has been on the field, but you have to be happy with the situation in New England uh, post-Tom Brady era at this point. Last year was a disaster with Cam Newton and Jared Stidham, but Mac Jones has looked the part that he is making the right reads at the line of scrimmage. His protections are good. Uh, I think it certainly helps that the Patriots probably have a top three to five offensive line in the NFL. So he should be pretty well protected and the ball is going to be out quick. And it doesn't matter necessarily that they don't have like superstars at the receiver spot. If you have a quarterback that can get it out quick and is accurate and can read coverages and read and get uh, the offensive line slid in the right direction or moving protections around like Tom Brady did. Uh, if you have those type of attributes, not that I think Mac Jones is going to be the next Tom Brady, but if, we know that if you can do that in this Patriots quick strike yards after the catch based offense, you can be a successful quarterback. So Mac Jones and Zach Wilson, both in the AFC East, I was not nearly as high on Mac Jones as I was about Zach Wilson, but Mac Jones has been impressive and he's certainly surprised me. I didn't know if I would see him making such quick decisions and processing as quickly as he did. I thought a lot of what he did to perform uh, with such high productivity at Alabama was due to the fact that he had amazing receivers and a lot of it was his first read. Jalen Waddle's wide open. Devontae Smith is open on the RPO slant, throw him the football. He hasn't really done that a ton early in New England. There have been some RPOs and I'm glad that Josh McDaniels has incorporated that uh, into this offense because that's what's Probably good for Cam Newton, and it's very familiar for Mac Jones as well. But through two games, Mac Jones has passed with flying colors. Another quarterback that I've been impressed with, but I don't think he's blown the doors off, is Justin Fields. It reminds me, like his start in the preseason, reminds me very much of the quarterback that I compared Justin Fields to during the pre-draft process. The start of the career for Deshaun Watson. And I'm talking regular season. If you remember Deshaun Watson made his debut, I believe it was on a Thursday night football game against the Cincinnati Bengals. And he was like looking at his first read and then just running. And he like made a lot of plays with his legs, but just did not look ready. Like the next week, I think he threw for a bunch of yards and looked a lot more prepared. I believe maybe he came into that game after an injury to whoever he was behind, which is completely escaping me right now when it shouldn't, who that quarterback was. That's kind of what Justin Fields has done. I don't think when it comes to reading coverages and making the perfect read and understanding, okay, I need to get off my first read and find this backside receiver, but he's made oncoming defenders miss when there hasn't been great protection. And I think we understand at this point that the Bears offensive line is probably going to be a problem. And he's made plays with his legs. He's converted third and longs with his legs. He's 
found the quick check down that can have some space to run to pick up that first down and move the chains. And there have been a few downfield strikes that maybe not through tight windows that are extreme high degree of difficulty, but Justin Fields looks like he understands, hey, I'm not going to dissect a secondary at this point um, this early in my career. But in the meantime, while I'm learning how to read coverages and process really quickly, I'm going to pick up yards with my legs and scare defenses in that way. So maybe I'm taking a linebacker out of coverage who has to spy me and I'm going to be faster than him and more elusive than him. uh, So I can really neutralize that player and play 11 on 10 uh, when I'm the quarterback. So I, I think that mindset and what Justin Fields has shown in these first two preseason games. The numbers aren't crazy. Uh, 59% completion. His yards per attempt average is only 5.7. We haven't seen Allen Robinson. Darnell Moody's hardly played. But I think the skill position talent is good enough in Chicago. I'm a little worried about the offensive line, but this is more of a parallel to Deshaun Watson. That was, of course, an issue early in his career in Houston. He was unloading deep strikes down the field, but took a bunch of sacks early on because he has a tendency to hold on to the football uh, and maybe wasn't the most deft coverage reader in that rookie season. I think we're going to have a similar type rookie year from Justin Fields. Hopefully it doesn't end like Deshaun Watson's with an ACL injury you know, early on in that rookie year. But I think hopefully Matt Nagy allows Justin Fields to stretch the defenses a little bit more than he has in these first two preseason appearances and then certainly utilize him maybe even in the design run game. So that's what teams have to game plan for. And for all the Bears fans out there, I feel you. I hope for the sake of that franchise that has been starved for a even competent to upper-level quarterback for almost uh, 30, 40 years at this point, that Andy Dalton is not the starter for too long. Nothing against Andy Dalton himself, but we know who we have with him. And for Matt Nagy to come out and say, we want to watch Andy Dalton in week one, just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. When, of course, Justin Fields is much more naturally talented. The last quarterback, the last player that I've been thoroughly impressed with who was picked in the first round of the 2021 draft, Trey Lance. And I know the completion percentage isn't great. Pro Football Focus uh, put a stat out there that he's had a lot of like uncatchable passes or his uncatchable pass rate is like in the 20s. It's very high. I like from Trey Lance the fact that he has not been the classic rookie quarterback who just checks it down and says, hey, it's third and eight. I'm not really sure what to do. I'll just check it down over the center to that running back that runs a little hook and will punt and it's fine. He has let some balls rip down the football field in each of his first two preseason outings, we've seen the big arm, the arm talent being able to throw rolling left and then throwing back across his field to the right uh, bootlegs, throwing on the run with accuracy, with velocity. The last throw against the Los Angeles chargers was actually a pretty nuanced play by Trey Lance and he looked left to hold that inside linebacker and almost have him drift away from where he wanted to go, which was over the middle on a backside in-breaking route to Travis Benjamin, who, by the way, I completely forgot was still in the NFL. But, of course, Kyle Shanahan's getting production from him in the preseason. You know how much he utilizes or accentuates and prioritizes having speed. It was a fastball. It was on target. He made, Trey Lance made the tight window for himself by looking left to pull that linebacker away. He had no 
real reason or desire to throw the ball left. He wanted to pull that linebacker, and he did. And then reset. The fundamentals look good with his footwork, with his delivery, through a strike, and it was a touchdown. Of course, the 80-yard touchdown to Trent Sherfield against the Kansas City Chiefs in week one of the preseason was probably the best throw in just terms of leaning left or rolling left, the arm talent needed, the accuracy needed to hit that wide receiver in stride. So it wasn't just a 40 or 50-yard gain, but an 80-yard touchdown. It's like the best throw I've seen all preseason. So there have been some misses. There have been a lot, some sacks, some fumbles. That's expected with Trey Lance. This is a 21-year-old, one-year starter at the FCS level. Uh, I like that he hasn't been afraid to let it rip. And it seems as though Kyle Shanahan, who probably knows a little more about quarterbacking and offense than Matt Nagy, or has just been a – he has a better track record. I don't want to dog Matt Nagy, but Kyle Shanahan has a much better track record managing quarterbacks and getting the most out of his quarterbacks. Uh, seems like Kyle Shanahan is slowly but surely leaning toward Trey Lance starting earlier rather than later over Jimmy Garoppolo. And there will be some bad throws. There will be some head scratchers. There will be some sack fumbles that shouldn't happen that on plays that Jimmy Garoppolo would have gotten rid of the football. But those high-end plays, those splash plays are the ones that change a game. The more splash plays you can create, the better chance you have to win. Of course, you don't want to offset those with four or five turnover-worthy plays to use a pro football focus term. But Trey Lance, just the I think the uh, potential of the 49ers offense just gets significantly greater. So I think he's he's been impressive, and he's been a little bit surprising to me because most rookie quarterbacks come in, regardless of where they're picked, and they just check it down, and they don't make any difficult throws. They don't want to throw an interception. Trey Lance hasn't been really that afraid of doing that. In terms of disappointing first-round rookies, have to start with Penny Sewell making the switch from left tackle at Oregon to right tackle on top of the fact that he opted out last season. That cannot be easy. And I wrote in my article at CBSSports.com on this topic, there's a bunch of former NFL offensive linemen that are turned to media members, pretty active on Twitter, they're on different shows on TV, and they all say, Changing positions, flipping from one side to the other, is not a piece of cake. It's actually really difficult. So that in and of itself is difficult for a rookie blocker. And then the fact that we haven't seen Penny Sewell on a football field since early January 2020. He just looked bad. He, he's looked slow in his kick slide. Uh, he got bull rushed by Gregory Rousseau, who has no business bull rushing someone that's 6'4 and 330 pounds with a ton of just natural power. I think even as a run blocker, he hasn't been that great. It just seems like he's someone that's trying to learn how to kick slide playing right tackle as opposed to kick sliding playing left tackle. And everything that goes into playing that side of the football or of the line of scrimmage as opposed to a two-year left tackle at Oregon. I think it will ultimately come with him because there is so much talent. The balance is good. There were some reps on film, though, where he got a little overzealous and got in and out and over his feet, got off balance. But in general, Penny Sewell is super talented, and I think it's just going to take him a little bit longer. And maybe we should have realized that with some of these opt-out players, that it was going to take them time to acclimate to the NFL because it's just been a long time since they've been on a, a football field, and now they're not playing in the Pac-12 or in the ACC or the SEC. They're playing against stars at the NFL level. 
Jamar Chase is the low-hanging fruit. Every episode I say that phrase. Three drops on three targets against the Washington football team. Even more so than Penny Sewell, I am not concerned about this. Like Penny Sewell, it's somewhat concerning, but I think he'll be fine. Jamar Chase, guaranteed, will be totally fine. All the analytics and all the research over the last however many years have kind of pointed to the fact that we shouldn't get crazy about drops. We shouldn't look into them and, and completely dock a wide receiver and say he's terrible, he needs to be cut. It's a, always going to be a very small percentage of his catchable targets, even if you are former Browns and Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver Greg Little. like He's kind of the poster child for like this big, talented wide receiver who just had problems catching the ball, which ultimately led to his demise in the NFL. He even was an outlier. His catch rate was crazy high. Did make some big plays, though, in Ohio with both of those teams. But most receivers, the vast, overwhelming majority of them, are going to be fine in the catch rate or, or in the drop department. And Jamar Chase did not have that as an issue at LSU. He was dominant. That was the one word that I used over and over again on this podcast in my writing during the pre-draft process. In traffic, in those difficult catch situations, I think maybe there were some jitters. Some of the throws weren't perfect. One of them looked like a safety was about to collide with him. Again, another opt-out. Maybe he it's kind of bracing for that big hit where it's not an SEC safety hitting you. It's an NFL safety hitting you. So don't be too concerned if we're talking fantasy here. Still draft Jamar Chase later in your drafts. I think to stay on the fantasy topic, I think he'll still ultimately be a low-end wide receiver too by the end of the season because after the catch, his contact balance, his elusiveness, his physicality are A.J. Brown-esque. Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown in that realm. I'm a little concerned about him getting separation. There were some reports before the Washington football team preseason game that the Bengals had from some local Cincinnati reporters that Chase wasn't really separating as much as they would have expected. I saw that on film. That was my lone concern with him, that he liked to bench press cornerbacks who were playing tight man against him. And I didn't really see that continuing in the NFL to be able to utilize that method. And you just can't do that in the NFL. You need to be DK Metcalf or stronger to be able to say, hey, I'm not really great at my release is off the line. I'm just going to try to bench press you and then get off you to stay in rhythm with my quarterback on the intended timing of my route. And he's not a ridiculous, freaky, super twitchy, Jalen Waddle type twitchy athlete. So there will have to be some schemed up throws for Jamar Chase. His one catch, which went for 16 yards, was just a quick screen to him. He followed his blockers, made a couple cuts, fell forward. That's what they should probably do with him to start, to ease his mind a little bit. Uh, but I think Jamar Chase will be fine. But certainly, I mean, three drops on three targets. You can't say he's been impressive. Only one catch in two games. A little bit concerning, but I, I think, again, overall, because he's just so talented. And what he can do after the catch and in those contested catch situations with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase will be fine. Two others that have been disappointing to me. Odafe Owe, during the pre-draft process, known as Jason Owe from Penn State. I'm glad that he went with his biological or, or birth name, Odafe. 
only two pressures on 24 pass rush snaps. That's a pass rush or a pressure creation rate of just 8.3%. Very small sample size, but I watched all of those pass rush snaps. One of the pressures, he was unblocked. Another one, Jameis Winston held onto the ball and another Ravens defender got there and OA kind of finished off the sack maybe four or five seconds into the play. The other 22 pass rush snaps haven't really been close. And the concerns that I had with him, stiffness around the corner and pass rush moves. For someone that was this highly touted, freaky, explosive, chiseled athlete, I didn't see someone that could tightly wrap the corner. And certainly someone that did not have pass rushing moves. Like he was a size, speed, power specimen, definitely explosive off the ball, but you need to be more than just explosive to win consistently in the NFL. And for not that this is his fault, he can't decide who he was picked by, but the Ravens need Odafe Owe to be pretty good as a rookie. I still think with Wink Martindale as their defensive coordinator, someone that is going to dial up blitzes at probably the highest rate in the NFL, if not top two or top three, they'll be able to still create pressure. But Matthew Judon was one of the more underrated edge rushers in football over the past couple seasons. They lose him in free agency. To have Odafe Owe and Jalen Ferguson, two similar guys that were, uh, I mean, Jalen Ferguson at Louisiana Tech was insanely productive but then had a epically bad three-cone time and was pretty chiseled, just couldn't bend the corner at all and wasn't a, a, a high pass rush move type of player. Have him on one side, Odafe Owe on the other side. That's a little bit concerning if you're the Ravens, especially in a season where you're thinking, hey, we are one of the elite teams in the NFL and that we're maybe not going to score 30 28 to 32 points a game like the Chiefs and the Bills have proven that they can do. Um, and we're going to try to grind it out with the run game. We need our defense to be really good and we need pressure on the quarterback because we are going to face, you know, in the playoffs teams like the Chargers, potentially the Bills, the Chiefs, the Browns that have good to awesome to best quarterback in the NFL. That's the range that you're facing when you're talking about Justin Herbert and Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield and, uh, certainly Patrick Mahomes. So Odafe Owe, it was more, I, I included him, not that he's been absolutely terrible. And I'm not really surprised because I didn't really see it with him as much as a lot of other people did. Uh, that I, I didn't fall in love with the athletic specimen because I thought he was someone that timed and tested better than how he played on the field. But again, he's just someone that that needs to be a productive player uh, for a really good team, and I haven't really seen that yet. The last guy, I'm going to go with Trevor Lawrence. He hasn't been awful. He hasn't been dreadful, and I think so much was made of that Monday night football game against the New Orleans Saints in the Superdome because in that first quarter, it was brutal. Like The, the Saints just completely ran over the Jaguars on offense and defense. I thought Lawrence actually held his own for not being – protected well at all, uh, made a couple of nice throws, but compared to the expectations for him, a little disappointing that he has mostly decided to check it down a little bit and uh, not make those difficult throws. There was a good throw to um, Marvin Jones in the first preseason game that was actually a better catch than it was an amazing throw. But beyond that, the pocket presence has not been very good. And 
that is kind of a concern because I think Trevor Lawrence can make those outside of structure plays, but in general, he wants to win from in the pocket. And that is what allowed him to be this anointed number one overall prospect type uh, during the pre-draft process. And really even before his final season at Clemson, that everyone realized he was a shoe in to be the number one overall pick because of what he did at his size with his arm strength from inside the pocket. So I think the environment, and I wrote this in my article, this is more about the environment that has been created around him with Trent Baalke, the GM, and Urban Meyer, the head coach. The line isn't great. I know all the receivers haven't played yet. LaVisca Chenault's been out there quite a bit. Um, he's thrown a Tavon Austin and Laquan Treadwell, former first-round bust at the wide receiver, that are somehow clinging to a roster spot in Jacksonville. Just been a little disappointed. I, I would have liked to see more uh, willing, more of a willingness to make those difficult throws from Trevor Lawrence, but really he hasn't had the time to do it. I want to finish with a quick rapid-fire segment to switch gears to the 2022 NFL Draft to talk about the receiver class. The last, this will be the third or fourth, maybe fourth wide receiver class that I or draft class that I thoroughly examine the wide receiver group. Uh, and it's it's a good wide receiver class. I don't think it's as good as it was the last two years, especially at the top. There were marquee, crazy talents, like guys that you could pencil in as like, this is a top 15 to 20 guy with like CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. And then, of course, this past year, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, Jamar Chase. They were shoo-ins, and then there was good depth behind them. I think this is more of a maybe a few sneak into the first round because of the increasing value of the position and then just a lot of good like second third fourth rounders that can be solid players i wrote an article on this a week or so ago time's flying uh actually two weeks ago august 13th at cbssports.com just to give a primer on the wide receiver class and i'll start with and this is kind of sort of in order of how i view them and, and the consensus uh of where these players are rankings wise i'm gonna just i'm not gonna say a lot about each individual player, but just to get it into your ears of who each wide receiver reminds me of at the NFL level, where they feel like to me. Do they feel like a first rounder, second, third, fourth rounder? They're trump cards. Like where do they win? How do they win? Uh, and what they need to show better, how they need to improve, what weaknesses uh, need to be eliminated or uh, reduced from their game to become a, a better prospect and thereby increasing their chances of being a successful pro. I'll start with Chris Olave from Ohio State. He reminds me a lot of Corey Davis. Similarly sized, tall, around 200 pounds. I think he's a first-round talent. That's what he feels like. I'm not going to say I'm penciling him into the top 15. His trump cards, he's very precise running routes. And that is kind of the book on a lot of these Ohio State receivers since uh, Brian Hartline has been the wide receiver coach there for a while. And he tracks the ball well. He's over six foot. He's not a Mike Evans-esque power forward, but he tracks it well. Like over his shoulder, shows his hands very late, can get his feet inbounds down the sideline. He's played on the outside. I like that. His release package is pretty good as well. So he's just a, a refined player. He's not that good after the catch. That's what he needs to show better. Uh, he just needs to be more dynamic, show better power through tackles and contact balance. After him, his teammate, Garrett Wilson, he reminds me of Jalen Rager in that Jalen Rager was this like 
loose-hipped, lightning-quick, explosion-based wide receiver prospect. Dealt with a lot of injuries with the Eagles last season, but I think he can quietly have a, a solid second season on. To me, the Eagles are not going to be very good. I'm one of the, the least explosive teams and in the entire NFL. I, I think the Eagles are going to be picking inside the top five in the 2022 draft. Garrett Wilson reminds me of, of Jalen Rager for a lot of those reasons, that he's not this crazy precise route runner, but the athleticism is through the roof. He feels like around one talent, just like Chris Olave, somewhere in the first round. Huge 2021. We could be talking about top 15, top 10 maybe, but if he just kind of plays how we expect based on what we saw from him last year, he'll be get picked somewhere in the 20s like Jalen Rager was. His trump cards, suddenness, burst, and the acrobatic catch skills. Like There were some ridiculous receptions on film, even in 2019, but certainly in 2020, like where he looks like he springs off a trampoline, makes a one-handed grab, gets his feet in bounds. Like he is an insane athlete. And he probably has a higher ceiling in the NFL, does Garrett Wilson, and just where he could ultimately uh, be selected in the draft. Garrett Wilson, Jalen Rager, first-round talent. Trump cards, suddenness, burst, acrobatic catch skills, and what he needs to show a little better, his route-running crispness and speed. Traylon Burks, a lot of people here on TikTok have asked about Traylon Burks. I made a video about him. Uh, if you're watching on TikTok, just it was today, but if you're listening, go to my TikTok. It was yesterday. I think it was one of the last videos I posted, just kind of summarizing his game. He reminds me of Kenny Britt, almost to a T. The size, how they move on the football field, their strengths, their weaknesses. He feels like right now a late round one or early round two talent. That's being a, a bigger wide receiver, 6'3", 220, 225, who's not going to be a crazy separator because he is a little bigger and he's just not going to be as quick. He doesn't have as low of a center of gravity to change directions. Uh, that's kind of where he feels slotted at this point. His trump cards, certainly his size helps him. It's not necessarily fully a deterrent or a hindrance to his game. He's very good at boxing out and using his size, not just in contested catch situations, but on slants, on in-breaking routes, even on comebacks. He really knows how to box out like he's looking for a rebound underneath the basket. And then staying with basketball analogy, his above-the-rim play. like He had a one-handed catch for a touchdown against Ole Miss that I highlighted in that TikTok video that was spectacular. And he's deceptively good after the catch that there is some looseness in his ankles and his hips. You can throw him a screen. Arkansas even handed him the football just after motioning him into the backfield. Contact balance is there. He's just powerful. He's 6'5", 225. It looks like an NFL caliber receiver. Traylon Burks, kind of a throwback type from that era of 10 years ago. I always bring this up, the Jordy Nelson, Brandon Marshall, Des Bryant, Calvin Johnson era where the league was run by big physical receivers at the top. Now we're in this renaissance for the small separators. But Traylon Burks, I think, can be kind of an exception to the rule at the NFL level now at the receiver spot. George Pickens from Georgia is really fascinating. He reminds me of Allen Robinson almost to a T. Similarly to Traylon Burks, feels like a round one or early round two talent. He's got a nice size or a, a size and weight ratio, like 6'2", 200 pounds. So he has the height to have a large catch radius, but because he's a little bit skinnier, he separates pretty well. Like he's not someone that has to win just with boxing out like Traylon Burks does. 
can separate with pretty good regularity for being over six foot. And I talked about it with Garrett Wilson, that ability to look like you sprung off a trampoline to make a catch. George Pickens, he has the catch radius of a soccer net. Like he is unafraid to die for a football down the field, leap 40 inches into the air, come down with the ball. But he is a little bit lanky. And I think at times in the SEC, even against physical corners that can match him in terms of his quickness, because he's not lightning quick being six foot two, he can get moved off of his spot a little bit. So George Pickens was a huge recruit at Georgia, flashed even as a freshman, made some plays last year. I think with JT Daniels settled into that starting role at Georgia, we're going to see a big year from George Pickens. And we'll be hearing a lot. I'll probably be talking about it. Hey, this is a former five-star recruit that everyone wanted the college level who no one should be surprised at uh, is considered a a first-round pick. Jahan Dotson from Penn State, small slot wide receiver, reminds me of Deontay Johnson, who's a little taller, maybe a little bit lankier. Feels like an early round two talent, maybe somewhere in the middle portions of the second round. Very twitched up. He fits the modern-day NFL when it – even comes to a short route over the middle that has multiple jukes in it, head fake, shoulder fake, Jahan Dotson can pull those off and explode out of his break off the line of scrimmage to create separation. And for being like 5'9 or 5'10, he has a pretty good catch radius. Like he's not someone that you have to throw it super accurately to. He's shown uh, with some less than stellar quarterback play at Penn State. He can go up and make those difficult catches. Watch last year's Ohio State game. He put himself on the map as a draft prospect, um, completely roasted Sean Wade, who I was not a huge fan of anyway, but great against one of the better, more NFL caliber secondaries perennially in Ohio State last year. Not crazy fast. I don't think he's going to run 4-3, and he's not very physical after the catch. Like He's not Jamar Chase. He's not Debo Samuel. He's not even Amari Rodgers. But Jahan Dotson can get open, and the catch radius, the ball skills are very good. After him, and I think I'm a lot higher on this next player than really anyone uh, that is scouting NFL draft prospects at this point. Zay Flowers from Boston College. Took me a while, and this happens sometimes, where I'm watching a wide receiver or any player, and I'm like, who does he remind me of? Like Just his movements on the field. Zay Flowers like took me a day to figure it out. Like I was in bed thinking, who does he remind me of next morning go and watch some more film then it finally struck me Curtis Samuel he is very loose hipped his hips like almost come unhinged from the rest of his body to create separation he's a small slot receiver you can use him as an H back get him tunnel screens get him the football on jet sweeps reverses end arounds he's lightning fast I I think he's going to run pretty quickly uh, and he's just a change of direction type. So he fits, again, the modern-day NFL. He's a little bit more gadgety than Jahan Dotson. I think Jahan Dotson from Penn State can come in and be your starting slot receiver, you know, like midway through his rookie season. Zay Flowers, more of a gadget type, just like Curtis Samuel has been. And Curtis Samuel signed a pretty big deal in free agency after not having crazy production in Carolina with the Panthers to start his career because I think people realize, hey, this guy's open quite a bit. And the quarterback play just deteriorated around him with Cam Newton, uh, with that certainly happening with him, and then having Kyle Allen and a bunch of different quarterbacks over the past couple years, uh, even Teddy Bridgewater being very conservative. Zay Flowers is that explosive 
wide receiver. He wins after the catch and down the football field. He's probably my favorite yards after the catch wide receiver and that he is not complacent ever. He can catch an out route for eight yards that 90% of receivers would catch the ball and run out of bounds and say, all right, I'll live to see another play, not getting injured. Zay Flowers will slam on the brakes, duck under the cornerback and try to get upfield, lower his head, jump cut to the inside to make a defender miss or run through a defender. Uh, and with Phil Jerkovic, his quarterback, I think they're going to put up big stats. He averaged, I think, almost 19 yards per catch last year at Boston College. Zay Flowers reminds me of Curtis Samuel. He needs to improve physicality at the line because he is a little bit smaller. And there were some times where his hands kind of let him down when there was uh, a corner or a safety coming over the top to make it a contested catch situation. Drake London from USC, he reminds me of Brandon Marshall in that this is a serious moose in the open field and As someone that played on the USC basketball team in the 2019-2020 season, like he is a freaky athlete. Like he has Division I Pac-12 basketball player-esque athleticism. And we know how athletic those tall 6'4, 6'5, 6'6, 6'7 D1 basketball players are. He's not going to separate at a crazy rate, but he's not stiff. He truly is not. Watching his film, seeing that he's like six foot five, two twenty, was expecting to see someone just try to win purely with physicality. That's not Drake London, but he is a nightmare. Truly not fun after the catch to try to tackle. Uh, he feels like a round two talent. Oh, by the way, Zay Flowers reminds or feels like a round two talent as well. That's how I feel about Drake London from USC. How he wins yards after the catch, power his towering size, and his deceptive quicks. He needs to improve his speed. It's He's a build-up speed kind of guy, not going to stretch the field. You can still be a good downfield receiver if you're awesome high-pointing the football and boxing out. You can be someone like Brandon Marshall. It's not insanely fast. You can be like a Vincent Jackson or any one of those bigger receivers that I mentioned earlier that made splash plays Calvin Johnson, Jordy Nelson, Des Bryant without being 4-3 guys. But Drake London looks pretty slow. But I'm excited to watch him just completely bulldoze Pac-12 cornerbacks and linebackers and safeties this season for the Trojans. Romeo Dubs from Nevada. He reminds me so much of Michael Gallup. I feel like he is a round two talent, maybe late round two. He wins in two ways distinctly. Down the field, very deceptively fast. Like his... First gear is pretty quick, and then once he flips it through the second level, he's gone. Like, he is very fast. He's a little bit faster probably than Michael Gallup was at Colorado State, but he's very assertive after the catch, just like Michael Gallup was. Efficient. He's has vision like a running back. Some contact balance is there. He understands where he needs to get to the first down, uh, and he's a good rebounder. He's not, like, insane, but he makes some difficult catches in 2020 from Carson Strong's passes there at Nevada. His weaknesses, limited route tree. I think actually Michael Gallup was a little bit of a better route runner, but similar type. And he's got a slender frame. So at 6'1", 6'2", around 200 pounds, uh, he doesn't look super chiseled. So press at the line of scrimmage, physical corners might give him some problems. But in terms of a big play threat, and that offense at Nevada, they just dial it up for him over and over and over, throwing it deep. And then they used him in the screen game, and he was very comfortable after the catch. Romeo Dubs from Nevada, round two type. 
few more, and I'll be a little quicker here because I don't want to get crazy long with this podcast. Justin Ross, I'm so glad that we're going to see him on the football field for Clemson. He reminds me of a former Clemson star, Mike Williams. Feels like round two or round three, and I wrote in my CBSSports.com article how he wins over you, just like Mike Williams did. The best pure rebounder, power forward, high pointer, contested catch master, however you want to say it, playing above the rim, that's Justin Ross. After the catch doesn't give you a lot, and he's not a burst-based or separation-based wide receiver. John Mechie from Alabama reminds me of Tylen Wallace. They're vertical threats. They are not crazy fast, but they are deceptive at the line of scrimmage, and then they track it so well down the football field. Mechie feels like a round three talent. I know a lot of other draft analysts feel like he's a shoe-in to be a first-rounder. I think beyond just the go routes and the intricacy in those vertical routes that he ran at or at Alabama the last couple of seasons, I didn't see a lot of separation underneath or juice after the catch. Aeneas Smith from Texas A&M, he reminds me of Isaiah McKenzie. Feels like a round three to round four talent. Oh, and by the way, with, with Justin Ross, we didn't see him last year, and, and that's why I said I was so glad that he's going to be back on the football field. He had a neck injury that was supposed to be career-threatening. He's been cleared. He's going to play. Uh, and because of the neck injury and because of he's kind of a throwback that is just going to rebound for you, he hasn't really shown yet that he can be a tremendous separator or after the catch. He could be like a first-round pick or he could be a seventh-rounder because there's he's a, the biggest boomer bust in this group with Justin Ross. Aeneas Smith from Texas A&M, he reminds me of Isaiah McKenzie. Feels like round three or round four. He wins with the ball in his hands. He's little. He's slippery. He's not easy to see behind his blockers. He reads his blocks well in the screen game after catching a drag route. I don't think his routes are amazing. And that's kind of been the book on Isaiah McKenzie, that he's not this Cole Beasley-esque route runner to get open in the slot, but like he's just... Slippery. He's elusive after the catch. That's how I feel about Aeneas Smith. I like to see more urgency underneath. That's where he needs to win. He needs to be that possession type that's not just having to be utilized out of the backfield in the jet sweep game. Show a little bit more to your arsenal. That's where he needs to improve. And then being as small as he is and squatty as he is as a slot receiver, tracking the ball in contested catch situations, that would be uh, helpful to his draft stock. And the last wide receiver that I have to put in here, David Bell, the wide receiver from Purdue. He reminds me of Cooper Cup and feels like around three to round four talent and how he wins with a complete game and center fielder type ball tracking. He needs to improve his power through contact and just after the catch. I, I just don't think he's someone that is dynamic of an athlete enough to be awesome after the catch. He's just good in kind of every area. His release package is pretty solid. Doesn't get stuck on press coverage very often. Separates with decent regularity, especially for not being a crazy athlete. Like I said earlier, uh, contested catch situations are very good for being someone that's not physically imposing with a 45-inch vert or 42-inch vertical. Uh, just reminds me of a very solid wide receiver like Cooper Cup. All right, that's all that I have for today. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening to the Prospect Podcast. Thank you for watching everyone on TikTok. Until next time.